This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. We've got our special guest trying to talk to her a little bit about her latest book, Mutts and Mistletoe. It's a novel by Natalie Cox. So we'll talk to Natalie here shortly about the book and how she went about putting it together, some of the exciting bits without giving away too much. Uh, It's a great, great, great book, and it'll be great for the holidays, which is uh, up and coming here. So everybody get excited about that. So hang tight. We're going to go to this commercial break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Hanover Square Press and the secret language of cats, how to understand your cat for a better, happier relationship by Suzanne Schatz. Have you ever wondered what your cat is saying? In the secret language of cats, Schatz offers a crash course in cat phonics to help you crack the cat code. Perfect for the fans of the lion in the living room and the inner life of animals. The secret language of cats by Suzanne Schatz is available for purchase today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And I want to welcome our special guest today. Talked about her latest novel, Mutts and Mistletoe. It's Natalie Cox. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Tim. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So congratulations on the book. Uh, exciting stuff. Great little read. Tell the fans a little bit about the book without giving away all the good bits. And what should they expect uh, when they pick up a copy of the book? Okay, well, uh, Mutts and Mistletoe, it's been described as Bridget Jones set in a doggy daycare center. I set out to write a proper old-fashioned romantic comedy that would be funny and would entertain, but it would also have a, a sort of hidden message about animals and what they can teach us about living in the moment and connecting with each other. It's about a young 30-something Londoner, Charlie, she's called. And Charlie's not a fan of Christmas, she's not a fan of animals, and she's lost all her faith in love. So over the course of the book, she somehow has to open up her mind to all three. So basically, the plot is about Charlie. At the outset, she's um, 30-something singleton. She works in IT in London, and she's not looking forward to Christmas this year. Her live-in boyfriend has dumped her for his personal trainer and moved out. Her mother has gone off with her fifth husband to Australia for the winter, and her dad is on sabbatical in a very remote part of Russia. So Charlie decides that this year she's going to skip Christmas, and she's going to hole up in her flat in London for the whole Christmas period with a six-pack of Chardonnay and a box set of old Audrey Hepburn movies and basically binge on junk food and disappear. Plans are thwarted when, about 10 days before Christmas, her flat explodes from a gas leak. And she's basically, not only is she single, but she's homeless. And she's forced to go stay with her cousin in a small village in Devon, uh, where her cousin runs an upmarket dog kennel called Cozy Canine Cottages. So that's where the dogs come in. 
There you go. And it is a feel-good story. Believe me, fans out there, you know, <laughs> it starts off a little bit curious and, you know, uh, and uh, kind of downtrodden with all this activity going on. But it, it does get there, so we won't give away the ending, of course. But tell us about when you're, you're putting together the book. I mean, because you had just summarized it perfectly, but you've got all these different characters, and they have, uh, you know, these, I won't call it far-fetched, but these real extreme lifestyles and locales and places of this sort. How did you uh, draw upon that? Were there little uh, bits of your history and background that you could pull from, or these, or did you want to make it as broad and outreaching as possible? Oh, well, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely wanted it to be about animals, and I wanted the the animal characters in this book to be as prominent as the human characters. And I wanted all the animals to have their own backstory and their own subplots. And I wanted all those plots not just to be kind of tidy, standalone stories, but I wanted them to move the main action of the main plot of Charlie's story forward in a kind of important way. So I think some of that was a, a little bit of a jigsaw about, you know, making all that work. There's also a whole other subplot that Jez has. Jez, um, w- Charlie moves down to Devon and is planning, thinks that she's going to be staying with her cousin for the holidays. But in fact, as soon as she arrives, she um, discovers that her cousin has been having a, a phone romance for two years with an Arctic scientist um, uh, several hundred miles away. And um, sort of coincidentally, Jez decides that it's time that she finally needs to go and meet her mystery phone lover. And so she persuades Charlie, or in fact kind of puts her under some pressure, to take over the kennels for the holidays so that Jez can fly to Lapland. So that's how Charlie gets put in charge of all the dogs. Um, And I think... You know, with with any book, really, at the end of the day, stories are driven by characters and you have to do your homework creating really interesting three-dimensional characters who feel real and have real, you know, real issues and real obstacles that they have to overcome. So I think, you know, as a writer, that's our, our, our first job is to get the human beings, you know, and in this case, the animals onto the page in a believable way so that your readers fall in love with them and your readers are, are rooting for them. And I think that's certainly what I set out to do with this. And, I, you know, I wanted it to be funny. This is a it's a funny book. It's a you know, it's really meant to make you smile. And yes, you might you know learn a thing or two along the way. But its principal objective is to entertain. And with the characters themselves, I mean, as you mentioned, a lot of the characters are simply are the animals themselves. And how did you draw upon building their characters and their little tweaks and backgrounds? Was it a matter of uh, trying to give each one of a, a unique twist and a unique thing they bring to the table? Or, I guess uh, so. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time with animals, and we've ha- we have loads of pets here in our house. We always have. We've had two dogs. We've had a cat. We have a cat. Uh, we've had a pet gray squirrel. We've had a, a pet bird. We had uh, we have two Welsh ponies. I mean, all of our pets had really strong personalities. And I think it's only someone who spends time with animals who realizes quite how three-dimensional animals can be and how individual. So I think for me, I with some of these dogs, I was inspired by dogs I knew. Certainly Malcolm, the, the main dog star of this book, was inspired by a, a monstrously large deaf albino great dane that i used to know he was called hector and malcolm was definitely modeled after hector he was he was a dog that i 
met years ago, but just never left me. You know, he's some, a dog that you always carry forward with you, even though, you know, they're not yours. And the other ones, they were just organic, really. There's a, a Peggy, a Beagle. She's um, a little bit like the heroine in that she's a little standoffish, a little superior. But ultimately, just like the heroine, she learns to kind of connect with other dogs and with other humans. And she has to transition into being a mother for the first time. So that's part of her journey. There's a miniature gray poodle who's so old he can barely stand. He can't, he can hardly see or hear, but he can still love and he can still solicit love and affection from those around him. There is a um, tiny, dainty Pomeranian female who disdains all forms of exercise in the outdoors, but becomes quite enamored of um, a champion Irish setter who comes to say, and whose story becomes quite crucial to the novel's main plot. And the, the Malamutes, there are two Malamutes who feature in this in this book, and they, they're almost feral, they live outside, uh, but they teach Charlie how to connect with nature and how to live in the moment. And they have some great scenes towards the end in the climactic chase scene. They, um, they pull a, a sulky, which is like a trap, like a pony and trap except for dogs. Um, and there's a, a really great chase scene where Romulus and Remus, uh, the two Alaskan Malamutes, are pulling the sulky and chasing the bad guy. Uh, and I, I think from the beginning, I kind of had that scene in my head and of a chase scene with a, a sulky and two dogs pulling <laughs> it through the snow. And, and that, it, it was a little bit of a puzzle to kind of make that work um, in a believable way, but I think I, think I managed it. Yeah, you absolutely did. Well, writing, I mean, when, when they're talking about television and uh, the movies, the screens, they always say, you know, never work with children or animals because they're always going to upstage you. But I think you get that as a, a writer as well. So how do you bring in these different characters, which are animals or dogs in this case, and how do you not let them upstage Charlie? Or how do you find that right balance? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I think upstaging is a good thing. If you've got an animal who's upstaging, that means something really terrific is happening on the page, frankly, particularly from the point of view of comedy. And I do think, I think dogs um, in general have fantastic comic potential, which is why the internet is kind of littered with dog Mm -hmm. memes. And I think even non-dog lovers, you know, are people who will, you know, click on it and share a, a funny dog you know, video on Facebook or Twitter. And I think, I think it's true of all animals, but I think dogs in particular loan themselves to it. I, I have a cat. I like cats very much, but I don't think I could have, I'm not sure I would have been inspired to write about cats in quite the same way that I have been about dogs. So I, from a comic point of view, upstaging ultimately might be a good thing because it means something really memorable and funny probably is happening on the page. So I wouldn't have worried too much about that. I think the main thing is to make sure that your human ca- that at the end of the day, the human characters have to take priority and the love story has to take priority. This is, you know, it's a romantic comedy. It's got to be a romance. We need to be fully rooting for the couple to get together in this story, which I hope people are. There are two men in this story. I think every good rom-com has a little bit of ambiguity about who the people are supposed to fall for. So there are two men in this story and both of them were super fun characters to write. And I think they're both likable. One of them is, you know, the only one that can get the girl at the end of the day. But I think with any novel like this, you have to make sure that that the main story is the one that is capturing people's imagination. You have to be rooting for this couple to get together, which hopefully we will be. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, break away for these commercials. We'll come back and talk to Natalie Cox a little bit more about her book, Mutts and Mistletoe. And we'll talk to Natalie about your uh, writing and writing styles. So we'll come back after that. So everybody, hang tight. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. The show is Tim Link and uh, we continue our conversation with uh, author Natalie Cox. Talk to her a little bit about her book, Mutts and Mistletoe. It's a novel, a little Bridget Jones twist with uh, all these wonderful dogs inside of them. So, Natalie, tell me a little bit about you as a writer. Obviously, this is a rom-com type book, a feel-good, a little uh, Christmas cheer here with all the animals. Is this the type of uh, books you like to read and you like to write, or uh, is there, do you have a combination of things? Have you done some nonfiction? I'm a pretty, I, I'm pretty eclectic, I think, in my taste. I do like to read this kind of fiction, although I read across a, a fairly broad range. I've written a number of other books in other genres. This is certainly a departure for me to write romantic comedy. But I've written historic. I've written five other novels: the historical fiction. I wrote a, a contemporary political thriller, and I read across quite a wide range. I I actually own a bookshop in London, and as part of that, I'm required to read quite widely. The, our shop is quite upmarket. It's highly curated. It's quite literary. But what I would say is that. Even our readers often come in saying they'd like something a bit lighter. You know, the, the world is kind of a difficult place to live in these days. And we are finding that more and more people are coming in saying, have you got anything funny or, you know, just a bit easier to sink into? Um, I'm going away for the weekend. So we're always in the shop on the lookout for good comic fiction. I don't think there's enough of it being written. And that's certainly one of the reasons that I decided to write this book was that I thought there was uh, a little bit of a dearth of things that make people smile. Absolutely. And I think for the holidays, especially, you know, we, we want something that's a little lighter, a little bit of a feel good. Perhaps, you know, your readers are sort of in this predicament themselves, you know, because the holidays, you know, it's happy time to be a family, but not all families are the, uh, you know, June and Ward Cleaver of <laughs> Leave with the Beaver and all, you know, all the other uh, feel good stories. It's not always a Christmas story, uh, happy ending. Uh, Absolutely. And what the thing than to have a great book to sort of slope off from family gatherings and lose yourself. And <laughs> I 
<laughs> that's absolutely right. Uh, I mean, I'm a great, I'm a big fan of Christmas. Um, and I, I love Christmas. And actually, one of the great things about working in retail is that it is, you know, it, Christmas is the big time of year in retail. And we love throwing ourselves into that. And with Charlie, I kind of took the, um, I played kind of devil's advocate and sort of tried to put myself, you know, in the shoes of somebody who was just fed up with every aspect of the holidays. And so that over the course of the novel, Charlie has to learn to love Christmas as much as I do and kind of get with the holiday spirit. Um, and she does. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's give a shout out to your uh, to your bookstore. Oh, Ink at 84 Bookshop. Um, we are named after, I don't know if you remember a book and subsequent film called 84 Charing Cross Road. Okay. Uh, which was a, a rather, uh, was written in the 70s. It was a memoir um, by an American woman called Helen Hamp, who had a 20-year correspondence with an antiquarian bookseller in London on Charing Cross Road. And it was a very famous book, and then it was subsequently turned into a stage play and ultimately uh, a film. And when we found our unit, we looked for a long time to find the right unit, and it happened to have the street address on the road was 84, and we just thought that that was a sign from on high that we mm -hmm. had to, the name of the shop had to be an, an homage in some ways to this um, very famous book. So it's called Ink at 84. There you go. So everybody, when you're in the uh, greater uh, London area, uh, take a look at that for sure. So let's go to, uh, you had mentioned uh, about your past writing and, uh, you know, a lot of it was uh, serious stuff, you know, political type things, history type things. Compare the two. What were the pros and cons? What were the uh, the difficult things in writing this? Or was it a lot easier than, uh, than doing uh, some of the other work you've done? Gosh, all fiction is hard work. Uh, you know, when people come to me who are aspiring writers, you know, some of it is about talent, but an awful lot of it is about graft and perseverance. And I would say, you know, I might have had some illusions about writing comic fiction being a bit easier at the outset, but I don't have them now. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it, it isn't easy to be funny and it isn't easy to bring all the elements of a book, the plot, the characters, the setting, the laughs, the message, to draw it all together in a, in a neat, believable way is not as simple. So while I would say there probably wasn't as much research involved with this book at the outset, as some of my others, it was still, you know, a challenge. And uh, I'm working on another romantic comedy now that is also involves animals. It's set in a zoo. And equally, you know, every, you know, on every page you, you are, you know, working to kind of find the hidden comic elements and make sure that uh, it all comes together on the page. Yeah. Well, in comedy, obviously, uh, comedy is not, as you mentioned, it's not easy. It's all in the eyes or the uh, the hearing, however you're, the comedy is being presented to you, of whoever's listening. Because what may be funny to me may not be funny to you, and then putting it down in paper—that's a you know—that's a little bit different uh, too, you know. Because, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because obviously, if you're seeing a comedian, a performer, you you can uh, draw from that, or if a certain part of a bit doesn't work, uh, they can move on to something else. Here, yep. if uh, a certain bit, especially that first part, that first chapter, that <laughs> that doesn't work, then yeah, it's not going to be a good thing for the book. Yeah. I mean, a lot of performance comedy is about the nuance of the performance or um, the physical elements of the performance, the slapstick. And when you're writing comic fiction, you have to somehow get those elements onto the page. It's It can be very, very difficult. You know, sometimes I, I think I do a lot more visualization with this kind of writing than I ever have before, particularly when you're trying to write any kind of physical comedy. You have to 
you have to see it very clearly in your mind in order to be able to describe it in words in a way that, that doesn't lose the comedy. So that's, it's challenging. Uh, so I do think I use visualization a lot more in terms of a writing technique than I ever have had to before. Uh, it's possibly less about the subtleties of the language and the diction. Imagery is still quite important, but the register of the authorial voice isn't in quite as high a tone as I've written in before. I'm probably paying slightly less attention to um, language in that way, but more attention to the kind of visual content of what I'm writing about. There you go. Yeah, and I think that's, I don't think any particular type of genre is easier to write than the others. And I think there are those misconceptions that even with a novel, with a fiction, that you can just, you know, take an idea that's sort of in your head and put it down on paper because there is a lot that goes into it. You've got to develop these characters, as you, as you had mentioned, and uh, you got to make sure it uh, gets you to where you need to be. You know, at the end of the day, accomplishes what you're wanting to accomplish. And there is that, uh, that degree of, uh, you know, research and history. You can't go, uh, talking about a particular type of dog or a particular type of location, unless you know about that particular dog or location. That is true. And I did rely heavily on the internet for that. Um, I have (laughs) not ever ridden in a sulky. I'm sorry to say (laughs) one of my great aspirations Um, and I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. I just haven't had a chance yet. Uh, (laughs) My goodness, the internet is so good for all of this. That's right. That's right. It's good for research. Well, tell uh, the fans a little bit about uh, where you're going to be, what's happening, how can they find out more about uh, Mutts and Mistletoe, and find out more about uh, you as a writer and all your happenings. Okay. Well, it's Mutts and Mistletoe. That's, um, in fact, the U.S. title. If you have, I don't know if you have a U.K. readership, but it's called Not Just for Christmas in the U.K., and it'll be out in a few weeks here. You can Find me on social media under Nat Cox Writes, just like your show. It's W-R-I-T-E-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and uh, on online on my website under nataliecox.me. There you go. So make sure you check it out, everybody, and uh, pick up a copy of the book uh, here in the States, Mutts and Mistletoe by uh, Natalie Cox. It's a, a great read, fun read. It'll get you all prepped up for uh, for Christmas time for sure. And uh, we're excited. We're excited to uh, have you on board here on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Uh, congratulations and uh, the best of luck. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our producers and sponsors for making this show possible. If you have any questions, ideas, thoughts, or people you want to hear from on the show or be interviewed on the show, you can email us at PetLifeRadio at PetLifeRadio.com. Check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows uh, while you're there. It's PetLifeRadio.com. So thank you once again for listening to the show today. And if you have a great idea or have written a blog, a book, or an article that you think is exciting, get a hold of us here at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, I look forward to seeing you. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.